Welcome to MoneyMD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, John, this fall has been kind of an anti-sports fall for me, you know. Um, <laughs> well, just because your Tigers are out of the college football playoff oh, good in grief. September. Yeah, I mean, they're out of everything, and they're out of the ACC, running for the ACC. I, I, I mean, it's, it's, uh, They still have a chance. You know, it's, it's, it's early. Um, <laughs> Debo's a great coach. Great, You have great players. So uh, you're playing at Syracuse. Georgia's, man, just yeah. lighting it up. Georgia's incredible. Georgia's the team this year. That's Alabama's, good. I, uh, I hope, lost a game. And, I hope Georgia can take it all the way, man. That'd yeah. be great. That'd yeah, sweet. South Carolina's uh, kind of mediocre at, at best. So yeah, yeah. Sports uh, kind of quiet, but you know it's interesting. I went into um, Lowe's this last week to to do some shopping, and, and yeah, Steve, it's October. They have Christmas decorations up. I'm like, they? they just you know blew by. There's, there was no Halloween, at least that I saw. Yeah, they blew and by Thanksgiving. I mean, it was just there was Christmas trees. They've gone and, straight to Christmas already here uh, in yeah, October. I don't know, just too early for me. <laughs> yeah, and it is a little crazy. I don't know. I mean, the, the retailers are desperate, you know. I, I guess. Mean, I don't know. That's probably all they had was Christmas stuff because they couldn't get, couldn't get any other stuff. Probably the other stuff, That's the Halloween stuff and the Thanksgiving yeah. stuff just didn't come in. They and know we're 60 days behind on pork. This you is know. true. This is true. Yeah, supply disruption. Supply chain still uh, still a mess. Yeah, that's there, true. But, Having yeah. said that, you know, company earnings are really good, so it yeah. doesn't. It's not indicative of the stock market. I realize some people take that and say, "Oh my goodness, we're getting ready to go through some terrible market," which we're going to talk about. We have a couple of great topics to talk about. In fact, we're going to look at the the um, most overlooked tax breaks for retirees. When you retire, there are some opportunities. You want to make sure you don't miss those, particularly those first few years you retire. So. Uh, we're going to dig into that. You want to stay tuned for that. Yeah, and then we have a really good uh, conversation about uh, trying to time the market. And, man, this article, Steve, is out of Market Watch. It just really sums up um, the stock market and how you cannot time the market. you got to have a process in place to handle the ups and the downs, and, and we'll talk through more of that. But uh, really, really good kind of uh, on-the-point uh, type discussion. Yeah, it's very timely because I think a lot of people are um, – you know, tr thinking that markets are going to take some downturn or something. And it just, I think going through it and, and talking at history a little bit yes, really yep. shows the folly of that process. So that's a great article. By the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey SmartVestor Pro with over 26 years experience in financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm a Dave Ramsey certified counselor. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 29 years. We're excited to have you listen to our show this week. Um, our shows are up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, check out our website, moneymd.net. We have a link to the uh, podcast. You can listen to it from your computer or download it to your favorite uh, smart device and uh, listen to it on your on your own time. Also, a lot of good tools out there, Steve, on the on the website, um, you know, calculators and some college information, yeah. as well as some other videos. And we also have a Facebook uh, page, uh, MoneyMD, that we put a prescription of the week out on. Yeah, do check us out on our website, moneymd.net. You can link to us there. You can send us your questions, um, and we'll talk about those right here on the show. Well, John, we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yes, yeah, Steve, every time we do one of these uh, discussions on Social Security or Medicare, you know, the dates of... Uh uh, you know, these these funds running short um, continue to move up. And so this is uh, Medicare. This is from the Medicare trustee report okay. from 2021. And um, in August, it came out and basically said that the Medicare Part A 
um, the hospital insurance is projected to be depleted in about five years. So, so 2026 hmm. and, um, the long-term present value shortfall of this, uh, could be corrected if you had a 0.77 percentage point increase in the payroll taxes. So basically going from 2.9% gotcha. up to 3.67%. So an increase in tax, or you could have an immediate 16% reduction in Medicare expenditures, which is not going to happen. No, right? it's not, so not going to happen. They're going to have to increase taxes is what it boils down to. I mean, there's... Well, if they choose to fix it at all, I mean... I know. They're, yeah, they keep put, put, you know, I mean, kicking really, the can down the road yeah. on these things. It's Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, but honestly, I mean, has running a deficit ever stopped a politician from continuing to pay benefits or, or no. even expanding them, for no. that matter? They, they have not. No, it hasn't. So, I mean, Medicare is not going anywhere... It's not going to just go just, away. And Social Security, people wor- you know, worry about Social Security as well, just like disappearing. It's not going to disappear. Never, um, they, never. They could have some some changes to it, certainly. But um, yeah, 2026, five years. Yeah, I mean, they'll be printing money forever if that's what it takes to, to, to keep paying those benefits. And keep, that may be keep worth, getting elected. Worth less. Yeah, I mean, right. That's Politicians, they're not going to stop this benefit. I wouldn't worry about your, your, your payment. They'll increase taxes on people making over 400 or... Yeah. A billion or whatever it yeah. is. <laughs> Wealth tax. No, I mean, who knows? But they'll talk about all that. In the end, they'll do nothing. They'll just print money and, and deficit spend that. So I wouldn't worry too much about that portion of the deficit. They'll they'll keep going there. All right. Well, good, good fact of the week, though. And that does lead us up to our first topic here. And this is the most overlooked tax breaks for retirees. Um, John, yeah, I mean, for seniors, unfortunately, you know, they, they, they do miss some opportunities sometimes. The, when you get in the confusion and the fray of retiring, there's a lot going on. And, uh, and then you get settled in and think there's really no more opportunities for saving taxes. But oper- actually, there are some things you can do. And this is a very recent article <clears throat> um, out of Kiplinger's, I believe. Um, and, but, John, for new retirees, yeah, it's easy to get caught up in the important decisions around health insurance or when to take Social Security and kind of neglect to take advantage of some of the unique tax opportunities available early in retirement. And, of course, saving money in retirement is more important than ever. I mean, especially if you're living on a fixed income. That's why retirees really need to pay attention <clears throat> to these tax situations they're in and because the transition from the working world into retirement affords itself some unique opportunities to save money, especially on taxes. <clears throat> you know, so the first one here we're going to look at is realizing gains. Um, you know, this is one of those opportunities that comes about because you're likely to have lower income in retirement. Um, in fact, you may find yourself in the 12% tax bracket for the first time in a long time. As you retire for a couple, if you're making less than about 107000 of gross income, and that's especially true if you haven't started Social Security yet, right? So you, you may be in that little window between retirement, just to get a pension, no Social Security. And if that's the case, I mean, you likely can realize some long-term gains with no taxes because long-term capital gains rate, the, the wrong long-term capital gains rate is zero, for any gains that fall under that 12% ordinary income tax bracket. So if that's your situation, your income's going to be under around $107,000, you probably have some room there to realize some gains um, to make up that difference between what your income's going to be and that that limit 
Um, and you can, and it's totally going to be tax free. And if you do that before starting Social Security or having to take RMDs in retirement <clears throat> at age 72, um, you potentially can can get a, a lot of that realized. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those early years in retirement. Yeah, zero is good. Zero is very good. <laughs> like you don't want to you don't want to miss that opportunity. So take a look at that. That's right. And another um, thing that you want to consider is a spousal IRA. So when you retire. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean that your chance to put money into an IRA comes to an end. I mean, you, you certainly have to have earned income, but if you're married and your spouse is still working, or maybe you're working part time, you can uh, you know generally contribute up to seven thousand uh, per year to your traditional or Roth IRA, and, and as long as your spouse has enough earned income to fund the contribution to your account, uh, this tax shelter's door is going to remain open to you, and you should take advantage if you can. Um, you know, this is, um, it could also make room to realize more long-term gains tax-free, as we just mentioned above, if you put it into a traditional and it, it lowers your income. So spousal IRA is a good opportunity. Yeah, that's right. <clears throat> Another one here that I had not thought of, John, is deducting your Medicare premiums. What happens is a lot of retirees <clears throat> will retire, but then they'll work part-time somewhere, <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> and usually it's a 1099 employee they're a contract employee so they're really self-employed as a consultant is say um you know maybe they're just working some part-time job and getting paid money and has a miscellaneous income type situation after you leave your job well you can deduct the premiums you pay for medicare part b and part d plus the cost of supplemental medicare co- coverage medigap um supplement um, or the cost of a Medicare Advantage plan. Um, you know, that deduction is available whether or not you itemize, and it's not subject to the 7.5% AGI floor test um, that applies to itemized medical expenses. Um, there is one caveat, though. I mean, you can't claim this deduction if you're eligible to be covered on an employer's plan. Um, but, you know, for a lot of people, they're yeah. retired, working part-time, and when you fill out that Schedule C, you can... On your tax return, you can take this as a deduction straight off of your expenses. And, uh, yeah, that's a great thing. You don't want to miss that opportunity. So, and that's Medicare. And then next one here, though, is timing tax payments. You know, although, you know, we think of April 15th as kind of tax day, taxes are actually due as the income is earned, right? And employers have, you know, they've become kind of the country's primary tax collector, by withholding taxes from your paychecks. <clears throat> so, But when you retire, you break out of that system. And now it's up to you to make sure the IRS gets the tax when it's due. And if you wait till the end, you know, to send in a check the following year when your taxes are due, you're in for a nasty surprise in the form of, say, penalties and interest. So if you're working that part-time job we mentioned and not having taxes withheld, recognize you're going to you could be paying a penalty next year so you have two ways to get this job done so we're going to talk about the first one and that's withholding yeah withholding and it's not just for paychecks so if you're taking money from your 401k plan uh, company pension social security um, you have an opportunity to uh, withhold tax and um, you know they may not unless you tell them to do it so the same goes also for traditional iras so in retirement it's really up to you if you withhold money from these payments uh, obviously, we recommend that you withhold some so you don't get surprised or you have any type of these penalties. Um, for Social Security, you know, you have to elect to make that withholding. So uh, withholding is not necessarily a bad thing. It basically stretches your tax bill over the entire year, and it uh, it probably would make life easier if you don't have to um, 
worry about, you know, quarterly estimated tax payments or, you know, being hit with this penalty if you don't withhold the right amount. So we, we recommend you withhold some, certainly. Yeah, that's right. And that, that leads us to the other option, and that is making quarterly estimated tax payments. You know, that's the alternative to withholding. Um, and then you send that in four times a year, you know, um, in January, April, and um, uh, June, and, and September. And you'll need to make those estimated payments if you owe more than $1,000 in tax um, for the year uh, uh, before or, um, you know, if you're not penalty proof. In other words, if you don't withhold at least 90% of your prior year's obligations or 100% of the previous year's obligations, 90% of this year's obligations or 100% of last year's obligations. For most people, Mm -hmm. that makes you penalty proof. So you want to make sure and, you know, that one way or the other, either withholding or quarterly estimated tax payments, you're making those payments and you don't get stuck with a penalty that first, you know, year or two in retirement because that's easy to fall into. Next one here, though, is avoiding the the rollover tax trap. You know, there's kind of this menacing exception to the general rule that it's up to you whether or not taxes will be withheld from payments from pensions annuities, IRAs, and other retirement plans, Um, because if you get a lump sum payment or other rollover distribution from a company paid to you, um, you could fall into kind of the rollover tax trap where they have a mandatory 20% withholding, um, and then whenever you go to do the rollover, uh, you don't have that 20% to roll over, because if it comes directly to you, they're going to automatically withhold 20%. To complete the rollover, you have to make a full rollover. You have to come up with that 20% on your own because you're not going to give that 20% back till you file your taxes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, you know, if you are um, if you haven't had a Roth account for five years, a Roth 401k account, um, you can fall under that same 20% withholding for the earnings portion of your account. So you want to be careful of that. That's another trap if you do an indirect rollover to you thinking that, oh, I'm over 59 and a half and I won't have to uh, pay tax on this because the earnings have to be in there at least five years. Yeah, so the the withholding, I mean, if you do the distribution to yourself, like you were just mentioning, Steve, let's say it's a million dollars and they have to withhold 200000 only 800 is going to go into the um, the uh, IRA account. So there is a way around this. You can actually uh, ask your employer to send the money directly uh, to the custodian of the rollover IRA, and as long as the check is made out, Um, you know, to the custodian and not to you personally, there is no withholding at all. So, you know, even if you intend to spend some of the money right away, uh, your best bet is probably to ask your employer to do that direct IRA transfer. Um, So then when you withdraw the funds from the IRA, you know, it's up to you at that point to figure out how much withholding you want to pull out of there. So don't, don't have the check made out to you. It just makes it much more difficult. Yeah. And you can usually do that right online with most rollover uh, websites now. Um, and then also, you know, there's the RMD workaround for required minimum distributions. Um, you know, retirees taking required minimum distributions from their IRAs may have an extra option for meeting the the pay-as-you-go demand for withholding taxes. Um, so if you haven't withheld enough during the year and you don't need the required minimum distribution to live on, you can wait until December or late in the year, take that money, and then ask your custodian withhold a huge chunk of that to pay in as estimated taxes, basically to replace your estimated taxes for the year on both your RMD, but also on other taxable income that you've underpaid on. So a withholding is not um, subject to that 
that um, that timing rule. Um, so if it's a withhold, if you withhold money from your RMD as a distribution, it can be really late in the year, and it can compensate for income that you got earlier in the year where you didn't withhold enough. Um, so that's that's a great workaround for that. Yeah, and so the the next one here is, uh, and we talk about this pretty frequently, is gifting to charity with a QCD, which is a qualified charitable distribution. So once you re- reach the age of 70 and a half, there's a tax-friendly way to make charitable donations, even if you don't itemize. And it's called a qualified charitable distribution, QCD for short. So with a QCD, you can transfer up to $100,000 each year from your traditional IRA directly to a charity. And if you're married, your spouse can transfer an additional 100000 to a charity from his or her IRA as well. So that, that transfer is excluded from taxable income, and it counts towards your required minimum distribution at age 72. So that's a win-win. That's a great option. We have a lot of clients that are using that. But uh, you can't claim the, the tax-free transfer as a charitable deduction on Schedule A if you do itemize. So keep in mind, this is available at 70 and a half, even though the RMD age has been moved out to age 72. So QCD, you know, if you're giving to charities right. already, um, a QCD is a great way to give to a, a nonprofit. And again, we have a lot of folks that are doing that. Yeah, and I'll just point out, reemphasize what you said, it's available at 70 and a half. I misspoke a couple weeks ago, I think, on the uh, when I talked about this as our prescription of the week, that it was it was age 72 along with your RMD, but it's actually earlier than that. Yeah. It's still age 70 and a half that's available. So great point. And the last one here, though, is tax, uh, tax-free profit from the sale of a vacation home. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you know that you can qualify probably for the 250000 or 500000 exemption for if you're married as a tax-free profit from the sale of your primary residence. Um, and you must have lived in the home for two of the last five years leading up to the sale. Um, but there is a way to capture tax-free profit from the sale of your former vacation home. So let's say you have a, a family homestead and you cash in on it um, on selling your, your current house um, you know, for that exemption, the 250000 Then you move into the vacation home that you've owned for, say, 25 years. Well, as long as that home... Um, that, that vacation house now becomes your primary residence for at least two years, then part of the profit from the sale of that vacation home will also be tax-free. Now, you'll be required to prorate the profit on the sale of that home from the amount of time that you had it as your primary residence. And so you'll still have to pay you know, capital gains tax mm-hmm. on the part of the time that it was a vacation home. But still, that's a way to take advantage and, and get some of those gains tax-free on your vacation home if you plan to move anyway. Yep. So Very good. All right. That's, uh, we like saving taxes. That's tax savings right there. And that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah, this is just a, a general question we get frequently, and it's about Social Security. Should you take it at age 62 or wait until full retirement age, which for most people is, uh, you know, 67 at this point. And it really depends on the situation. If you need the income, taking it at 62 is reasonable. You know, what's interesting, Steve, is, you know, when they do these calculations at 62, 67, and 70 and in between, uh, they if you passed away on the, the life expectancy, it would come up with a pretty much the same number um, right. when you did a present value back to today. So, um, so you've got to look at some other factors as well, like um, spousal uh, benefits um, and also health. We know we have some folks we yeah. work with that 
they're like, Hey, I'm not going to live to 82 and I want to start taking it early and using it. So there's some softer factors that we have conversations with. We can tell you how to maximize it certainly. Um, but sometimes there's some other things that sway the calculations. Yeah, it's not all about the numbers. You know, you have to ask yourself those questions as you mention it. Like, you know, one of them is, do you need it? Do you need the money now? Um, that would sway you toward taking it early. I mean, will your spouse draw off of you um, is another important question. And is it an important survivor benefit for your spouse? Um, that would sway you toward delaying it and, and letting it grow at 8% per year by delaying it. So, you know, all those questions are very, very important. So I'd really encourage you to sit down with somebody and, and get a real thorough look at, you know, whether or not it makes sense to take it early um, for Social Security. One of those important retirement questions. All right. And that leads us up here to our next topic. And that is um, why you won't know that it's a bear market until after it's already started. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And uh, this is a great, uh, great article for Market Watch. Mark Holbert uh, wrote it. And Steve, I think the the just the big takeaway is is that no one can predict bear markets. Um, you know, they happen every you know four to ten years. It depends on the time frame you're looking at. But it's really crucial to have a strategy that you can live through a bear market. And right. I know you've been doing this for for 25 years um, and have experienced a lot of bear markets. And uh, I've been doing it sure. for 14 years, and you know, been through the 2008 and then the pandemic and in 2018. So the strategy, you got to have a strategy that works. And so this really goes back um, to October the 9th of 2007 is is kind of the, the story in this. That's 14 years ago this week, and the stock market hit its bull market high. Uh, and that was right before the financial crisis in 2008. So right. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm willing to bet most people out there on that day um, did not think it was going to be the start of a new bear market. Again, October 9th Absolutely. of 2007. Uh, instead, most people were, you know, exuberant and they were excited that the S&P 500 was up 120% higher than what it, where it stood five years earlier. So a lot of positive sentiment out there. And yet one of the worst bear markets in U.S. history was beginning on that very day. And the S&P 500 over the next 16 months would lose 55%. Yeah, that's right. And the market didn't really... It didn't really start in earnest for almost a year later, the yeah, bear market did. Right. I mean, right? Until Lehman Brothers went bankrupt in, in the like summer. September or yeah. something of Yeah, so it was it was a long time later, but that was the top and it did the market did soften at that point and did go enter a correction territory, but then it just kinda lingered there for quite a while and it didn't really you know, so a lot of people in hindsight will say, Yeah, you know, this is Certainly, uh, you know, I felt like it was the start of a bear market, but honestly, they, you know, it didn't feel like it at all when you lived through that, you know. So it's only after the fact that it becomes clear that a bear market has ended or a bull market has ended. And some people will disagree. They'll insist that they, in fact, did have good sense, you know, about the bull market that was topping out in October of 07. I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. but they almost certainly are rewriting history, you know, and that's understandable. People tend to do that. But, you know, it's human nature to want to kind of rewrite the past. And, and, and but then also there's some people who are so pessimistic that they think there's a there's a bear market starting every single month, yeah. you know. So yeah. eventually they're going to be right, John, you yeah. know, and uh, and then they'll be tempted to think that, you know, oh, man, I, I got that one right. But truth is, they probably missed a 50 percent gain leading up to that. Yeah, if you made a change in 2020, um, and we know a lot of folks who did, I mean, you look at the statistics and uh, folks missed uh, a, a massive gain in the market. Yep. 
Um, but you know, if if you look back at 2007, Steve, this is a this is a data point for me that's really interesting. If you had any doubt about how the market sentiment was, um, this this gentleman um, they looked at the average recommendation equity exposure of a subset of a hundred short-term stock market timers um, that are professional traders. Okay. okay. So these yeah. are a hundred short-term stock market timers. Um, and, uh, this average, um, reached its highest level on October the 9th, 2007. And so there's actually a chart, which is really interesting. Very interesting. And, and the chart basically looks at October the, uh, the 7th, 2009 and the average equity exposure at that point was about 65%. And it had risen from about 45% six weeks earlier. So you go back into yep. probably the end of August, it had gone from 45% up to 65%. And then six weeks after the market high, it went down to 25%. So on that, that very peak, all 100 different market timers were the most bullish uh, out there. At and, the peak. At the peak. At the peak. And these these folks are apparently you know, professional market timers, and they're optimistic, you know, about the markets and so forth. And so they're professionals who follow the market every single day. That's what they do. And if they can't do better than that, what makes individual investors think they can? So by and large, they got it dead wrong. Dead wrong. Exactly dead wrong. wrong. Yep. Yeah. And I'll bet you if we saw a chart of the low of the market, which was March the 10th, 2009, I'll bet you that was the low point in their recommendation of how much they right. have in stock when it should have been the high point. Yep. So, you know, it's very interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think these statistics make a compelling case. I mean, but to add kind of anecdotal icing to that cake, you know, I mean, consider just kind of a sampling of the, the newsletter of these new newsletter editors, what they said on the exact day or just before that market top. You know, some of these quotes, I think, are, are very entertaining. Um, here's one of them. So if you listen carefully, you can hear the rumbling. The rumbling is the distant thunder of the third phase of the great bull market. I see good times rolling. I really do. So that's one of the quotes. Very entertaining. Next one here is, yeah, it's been a while since I've felt so confident about the potential for making some great gains with our serious money. So if you haven't done so already, it's essential that you get your money into this market as quickly as possible. Time waits for no man and your money is waiting for you. So just go do it. <laughs> in hindsight, I mean, very humorous. Oh, it right is. Right at the top of the market. It is. And you know that's how it came out in these newsletters. Another one here says the global bull market in stock, stocks not only continues, but also it's entering a strong phase. Now that the Fed has waved the flag that interest rates are going lower, there's really nothing holding the market back. Uh, a couple more here. Dow 16,000, here we come. Um, it's, it appears that the stock market is off to the races for the next three to six months. And, and on October 2007, the, the market top was 14,000, so they were pr uh, predicting another 15% increase. Another one here says the longer bull market, longer term bull market is intact. You should be looking to buy on any weakness. And, you know, Steve, their ex exuberance uh, is, is uh, not surprising. We see that in the marketplace. We also see it on the negative side as well. So uh, odds are overwhelmingly that, that um, you know, most people felt, you know, positive back in October of 2000. And seven. So the the investment lesson is is really clear, is don't be able to count on your you know expectations and emotions to figure out when to reduce equity exposure to sidestep a bear market. Nobody can do it. 
consistently over time, it doesn't work. So instead, you have to have a strategy, right? It's exactly right. You have to devise a disciplined strategy so you can live through a bear market. Um, you know, it wouldn't be necessary, of course, if you could predict it, time it perfectly, but nobody can do that. You know, I mean, that's been proven time and again. And I think these quotes and this this data really proves that as well. So you have to have a good strategy for how to handle that. Yeah, and that strategy that that we preach and in, in the Ramsey organization is, you know, similar on this is stay invested, uh, have a proper allocation. We're, we're believers in, in having some bonds in the portfolio to cushion these drops. When you're when you're needing income from the portfolio and the stocks are down, uh, pull income from the bond side of it. And if you're building wealth, oh my goodness, a bear market is actually a good thing for you. You don't realize it; it doesn't feel that way sometimes. But the more shares you can buy, the more wealth you're going to have when the prices recover. Yeah, it's a great opportunity for rebalancing. We do that in our yes, accounts, right. you know, and we made you know some great you know rebalancing trades back at the la- bottom of the last bear market. And so if you have a discipline process, you can take advantage of it and and actually profit from a bear market, um, you know, if you're if you're following that discipline strategy. But if you're just following your emotions, you're going to make the wrong decision almost every time. Yeah, if so, you're following the news media as well, because they do not understand this. They, they, I mean, they don't. Yeah, you listen to Buffett and, and Ramsey and, and Clark Howard and, and folks like us who are, you know, educators. Um, they say stay invested, have a good allocation on the front end of it. And make sure you have a process to handle those dips associated with it. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Good topic. And that leads up here to our final thing, and that is the prescription of the week. Yeah, this came from a, a client, really good uh, uh, prescription, and it's um, be careful what you put on automatic draft. There's a list of items. I'll mention a couple of them. Uh, cell phone bills, utility bills, uh, gym memberships, um, newspaper subscriptions, and it's 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 recommending not to have these on automatic draft because some of these are variable in cost. Right. You want to look at you know the 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 bill and make sure that it's correct. Uh, sometimes also it's like out of sight, out of mind. So a gym That's membership it. that you're not using or a newspaper subscription that you're not reading. If it's month to month, you have a choice to cancel it and get out of it versus being locked into it. So just be careful. We we are proponents of investing, um, you know, consistently right. like that, but be careful with these bills. Yeah, you'll save more money if you force yourself to write a check for that every month because it's a little bit of pain, makes you review it, and you think, do I really need this? If you have it on automatic draft, you're likely not going to review it. It'll go a year before you actually stop yep. it. So you need to review these charges every month and take things like that off there that, um, you know, eventually you're not going to use and not going to want because, um, you know, you, you, if you get on out of sight, out of mind, just like you yep. said, it's a dangerous habit to get into. So good prescription of the week. And that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check us out on our website, moneymd.net. You can link to us there, send us your questions, and we will cover those right here on the show or you can give us a call richard young associate 706-739-0725 thanks for listening have a great rest of the week have a good one this program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment tax or legal advice this broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security smart investor pro is not connected to investment returns further information is available by contacting richard young associates a registered investment advisor